Hello, this is Brighter Evening, a podcast where we discuss fun, food, and ideas to make the world brighter. Good evening, this is Josh, and this is Brighter Evening. Tonight, we're going to continue our discussion about how to have a fun, uh, inexpensive trip by airplane and going long distances. Um, This is a continuation of episode four. So if you haven't listened to that, you might want to listen to that. If, uh, if you have listened to that, then, you know, this will be great. Um, and I'll, I'll try to cover a few of the things that we talked about in that episode. Um, I'm also working on some other episodes that kind of focus on uh, sort of government and, and um, policy type issues that I find interesting. Um, this one's maybe more of a societal issue, so stay tuned to that. Thank you for listening tonight. Um, I really appreciate everyone who's uh, who's paying attention. It's really exciting to know that people are getting to hear some of these interesting ideas um, that we're talking about here. All right, so if you remember, in our discussion on uh, flying and, and doing it inexpensively, we talked about using your different resources to find ways to, um, to find cheap flights. So we talked a lot about different ways that you can accomplish that. One of the things that you'll find as you're looking for... Um, looking for some of this stuff is again this idea of simulating the trip so if you're looking to to go to a number of different cities the order you go in the days you go in can all make a difference and this by the way is a really difficult problem to solve um, computationally it's uh, impossible to solve for for very large numbers perfectly to find the absolute lowest cost trip between places is a variation of something called the traveling salesman problem, which is a really famous uh, problem in an algorithmic study. And the the growth rate of the best known way to solve that problem is just crazy. So it's it's difficult, but you can make some informed decisions and and find a way to find some inexpensive flights. Right, you'll know which ones are the best, and you're you're naturally going to avoid the the crazy trip. So you're smarter than a computer, and take advantage of that. Um, so one of the things that is important in today, today's world when you're traveling abroad is that connectivity, right? We all walk around with our cell phones. Uh, we want to have the ability to send messages to our friends and family. Um, there's two main options, right? You can take your domestic plan abroad. So I'm going to talk about the U.S. carriers here. Um, or you can get a local data plan then in the, in the country you're going to. Uh, so the U.S. carriers, the major U.S. carriers to think about, you have AT&T and Verizon. They both have basically the same model, which is whatever plan you have, which are typically unlimited plans now. You can use that exact same plan, but there's going to be um, a per-day fee, somewhere around $10 a day usually, which for a short trip probably isn't too bad. Um, Sprint and T-Mobile have similar plans to each other. They have free slow-speed data. Exactly what that means depends on the carrier. It actually depends on the country you're in, I think, as well. Um, And then they'll have daily and weekly upgrade fees. T-Mobile has a special uh, fee where you can get uh, or a special monthly thing where your slow speed is twice as fast, and it's usable for things like voice chat, right? You can make a phone call with it or uh, over uh, voice over IP, so like a a call on Google Hangouts or a call on WhatsApp or something like that. Um, Although typically those are pretty well able to be done on the slower speed as well. Sprint, um, their slow speed is fairly slow. You could probably, again, make a video call, certainly not a voice call, 
uh, sorry, you can make a voice call, but certainly not a video call. Um, you could probably get away with it, but um, you can pay an upgrade fee. I think that the Sprint upgrade fee is less expensive, um, and they just go to sort of that unlimited model, so some, somewhere around $25 a week or something like that, um, which, is, which is pretty reasonable. If you happen to be a Google Fi customer or considering Google Fi, that's Google's cell phone service. They're a mix of the Sprint network, the T-Mobile network, and the U.S. Cellular network. U.S. Cellular is the number five carrier in the United States, and they actually have the best coverage in certain areas of the country. So if you're a Google Fi customer, um, your normal data plan applies even abroad, same price, same speed. So if you're you're paying the $70 a month, it's unlimited. And if you're you know, using the $10 per gig plan up to under that 70, same exact thing. Um, keep in mind that if you're careful about your data usage while you're abroad, you can use a lot less. And if you're not careful, you could use a lot more, right? If you're sending a lot of pictures or doing a lot of video chats because you're doing something really exciting, you might end up using more data than you do at home. Um, but that, that really depends on your usage patterns. A lot of times when I've gone abroad, I've been careful to download offline maps and you know, use Wi-Fi to synchronize my pictures and stuff, and then I use very little data, you know, just sending messages and stuff to people. Um, especially if you're traveling with friends or family, um, it's nice to be able to send some messages back and forth or to call each other using something like WhatsApp or Hangouts or Signal and say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm over here at this mall, can you come meet me, right, if, if you're split up in a mall or something. Um, the other option I talked about here is getting a local data plan. When you get a local data plan, um, it's often going to be a less expensive option than using a domestic plan abroad, especially as your trip goes longer. So if you're going on a three-week trip, $25 a week is $75. It's pretty expensive. Um, you can often get data plans and SIM cards, like sometimes for free for 24 hours. That happened to me once in uh, in a layover. We had an extended layover in Fiji and um, was only there for like four hours. And so know free data plan that was pretty cool um you know places in europe you can get 30 dollars. south america 10 20 30 dollars right there's inexpensive data plans with reasonable amounts of data um the thing is it takes time and it can be very difficult some places require special types of id um you know you may need to sign some special documents um so it can take some time um especially in, in certain countries where they require you know, some residency information. Um, I, I had a business trip to India once and I tried to get a local SIM card and I just couldn't make it happen. Like, you know, finding the right place, getting the right documentation, uh, especially not having any contacts in the country outside of the hotel and, and my, um, the people I was working with, it, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, so I ended up using the, the carrier I had their their daily use fee, the, the days I was there. Um, so it's generally good, and you need to understand the terms of whatever you're looking at. So if you're working with a carrier like um, in in some parts of Europe, Europe tends to have very good roaming agreements between carriers, so your one-month plan will probably work throughout Europe and maybe even outside of Europe. Whereas, you know, a number of years ago that wasn't the case, right? You get a, get a plan from one, one company and it would stop working at the border. Um, you know, once you switched over to cell phone tower that was in a different country, uh, you could also, you know, see this pretty typically in South America or, you know, other countries. So you need to know what you're getting. It could be hard to change countries and you may end up back on your, your data plan. If you're not familiar with the way uh, SIM cards work, a lot of cell phones, um, any GSM phone, which is 
you know, pretty much any modern phone is going to have some form of GSM because of LTE being based on GSM. So your 4G phones, um, they're going to have a SIM card. Um, if you switch out SIM cards, you need to make sure that your phone is unlocked, carrier unlocked. Most carriers will do it for you once the phone is paid off. Many carriers won't do it for you before the phone is paid off. So that's something to be aware of. Um, it can be just as easy to get an inexpensive phone to use on the, uh, you know, on your trip. Just make sure it's carrier unlocked. Um, if you're going to do that, uh, prefer ones that are either like direct manufacturer. So like, you know, T-Mobile sells non-carrier phone. I mean, the T-Mobile, uh, Samsung sells some non-carrier phones. Apple sells non-carrier phones. Um, different companies do it. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the ones like OnePlus and Oppo that are less well-known, you can get non-carrier phones. Um, and then you can use those, uh, with GSM. If you do get one that is a carrier branded, make sure to get one that's carrier branded for AT&T or T-Mobile, because those are GSM carriers. You're going to have a much easier time using it abroad. So that's, that's kind of the rundown on cell phones. If you need a place to get cheap cell phones, um, you could just look at a Moto G, like if you want a, a, an inexpensive phone that's replaceable, um, they're certainly less, less expensive than the flagship phones a lot of people get, you know, the, the Gal Samsung Galaxy series or the, the Apple phones. Um, there's also used websites like Swappa and eBay where you can get used cell phones. Again, good place to save some money. So that's, that's kind of the rundown on phones. Um, also, you want to think about in-flight entertainment. If you're going on an inexpensive flight, chances are you're going to be using this discount carrier. The discount carriers may or may not give you in-flight entertainment. They might just have their their uh, magazine. Uh, they do have a, a video system. You might only get one or two movies or shows. So you need to decide how much you're willing to spend on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's no need to spend very much on it. If you think back not that many years ago, people just typically flew with books. Um, people still do that. If I'm flying alone, a lot of times I really just prefer to have a nice book to read, you know, some some kind of fun spy adventure or something, and, you know, it makes the flight go by really fast. I do get tired after reading for two or three hours, so maybe it's nice to have something different to do. Um, if I'm flying with other people, usually we have kind of conversation. That helps pass the time, and it, it's also really fun. Um, you can get downloaded videos. Um, so YouTube, if you have the premium version of YouTube, lets you download videos. Netflix has many videos you can download. There's also you know, other other things you could do, like if you own a DVD, you can extract it to a video file um, using a program called Handbrake. So there's a lot of ways you can um, get video files to watch. Be careful, though, because that could impact your battery life, right? Your, your flight, if it's eight hours, your phone probably can't do much more than eight hours of video, and then when you land, your battery's dead. If you have any um, information you need on your phone, that's going to be a problem. So... Make sure you've got that extra charger, extra battery, you know, something to be able to make sure that you can use your phone when you land. Um, some some planes do have a way to charge your phone. A lot of international flights have a USB port under the entertainment system, or they'll have a uh, an AC electrical outlet in between certain seats. So if you're going over an ocean, you're likely going to have that. It can be a little uncomfortable getting to some of those things and using them, but totally a, a viable way to keep your phone charged. Um, another thing you can do is uh, listen to Brighter Evening. Obviously, you know, that's uh, you can download a few episodes of, of this podcast or a different one, or an audiobook for that matter, and you can listen to that. That's going to take a lot less battery life because the screen can stay off. 
Um, and your, your battery should last a lot longer if the network's not connected, which it generally isn't going to be unless you pay for on-flight Wi-Fi on those flights that have it. So if you're listening to a podcast, you can expect much better battery life than if you're watching videos or uh, reading an ebook on your phone. Um, when it comes to books versus ebooks, I personally like ebooks. I have one of those uh, Kindles that has the um, kind of paper-like display. It's not not an LCD display. It's not a you know like a phone display. It looks like paper, and so for me, they're about as comfortable to read as a book. Um, they're much lighter weight, and I can take more books with me if I you know finish a book during a trip. Because if you spend a lot of time on trains and planes and stuff, you might have a lot of time to read if you're not looking out at the scenery or something. Um, so I like that, but. That said, you know, you could pick up a nice thick book and it's not going to be that heavy and you can you can read it throughout the trip. You could even drop it off somewhere and pick up a new one. It's not a big deal. But um, if you don't have an ebook reader like that or don't want one, you can always read on a tablet or on your phone. But again, battery life becomes a thing that you have to worry about and it's kind of competing for for other battery life. So something to consider. Um, if you do have one of those ebook readers, they're very light and very convenient. But if you don't, you can always just read regular book, or maybe you don't want to read books when you're on vacation. I don't know. Um, another fun activity you can do is to write or draw. Sometimes I try to sketch out ideas or, or just practice drawing stuff on the plane or drawing pictures that I see. Um, I'm not a great artist, so it's a good opportunity to, to practice becoming a better artist. Um, also, an, another fun thing if you're traveling with people aside from just general conversation is those uh, spoken games that you might do in a car trip. So things like 20 questions or would you rather. Um, there's some great lists online of would you rather questions like, you know, would you rather be eight feet tall or three feet tall? And you can talk about why, um, those, if, if you get into a good conversation about why those questions become really fun, um, you know, it's a good way to start a conversation and, and kind of think things through with someone. And again, 20 questions is just kind of a fun game. You ask 20 yes or no questions and try to narrow down from the whole universe of possibilities based on what you know about the person and the questions you've asked, what they're thinking about. And that's, that's a fun thing. So those are good ways to stay entertained during the flight. Uh, but there's obviously other ones you can do. Um, you know, it's, it's always fun to talk to a stranger on a plane because, you know, you're flying to the same destination, but probably for different reasons. And, uh, and it, it's, you can meet some neat people that way. Um, I, I know I always enjoy that when I get the chance to talk to someone who's in a, in a talkative mood. Uh, so let's talk about getting to the airport. Um, your main options generally are going to be either a car or some kind of taxi, like a regular taxi, an Uber, Lyft. Um, you might also have public transportation options. They all have benefits and drawbacks. If you're going the car route, um, you're going to have to pay for parking. That doesn't mean you have to pay for parking at the airport. Um, airport parking tends to be expensive, although long-term is usually not too bad. But you'll find that there are other less expensive options than long-term parking. Uh, if you go online, you can find parking near the airport you're looking for. Um, you know, so there's one of the airports in the area we live in that has some lots nearby, and they have shuttles, and they're they're actually fairly inexpensive to use. Um, you know, maybe uh, thirty or forty percent cheaper than going to the airport. A little bit less convenient because you have to wait for their shuttle and call their number, but they're totally a usable alternative. Um, if you're going the Uber or Lyft or taxi route, try to find, if, especially because it's your home airport, try to find some free street parking that's legal for as long as you're going to be gone, and that's near the airport. You can park there and then take the you know the taxi from there to the airport. That can be a way to save a lot of money. Maybe your office is closer to the airport or something, so you can park in that parking lot and go over. Um, or you happen to know some street in a residential neighborhood. Maybe you've got a friend there. Maybe you just know about it, or maybe it's in some you know kind of industrial commercial 
neighborhood and park there, take it over, save the money. Uh, one thing you've got to consider is if you're traveling with kids, um, the car seat situation, the airport taxis typically will either be granted an exemption to car seats or they'll have them available. Uber does have a car seat option, but it's not reliably available when you need it. Sometimes you can get it, sometimes you can't. I don't believe Lyft has that option. So considering the car thing may be important in that circumstance. Um, also, if you've got a public transportation option like a, a subway or a bus or a regional transportation train or something, those are awesome options because they're very flexible um, as long as you've got a good schedule. Big thing to think about in any of these is how tired are you going to be when you get back? If you're landing at midnight and you've been traveling for 10 hours, you might be exhausted and maybe you're going to feel better in an Uber than in a car. Or maybe you'll feel better car than a taxi. Like it's, you know, it's kind of up to you what, what works well for you, but consider not only the trip there and the cost, but the trip back, because that's going to affect your kind of overall enjoyment of things. Um, but you know, if your car is just sitting there and you're paying money for it, you're not really getting that much value out of your car sitting somewhere. So this is a great place to think about where you can save some money. Uh, so let's talk about passports and some of the other documents. Um, one mistake I've made in the past is not checking for visa requirements before the very end. Um, like I was getting ready to leave and I said, oh, I didn't realize that country required me to have a visa. Because having an American passport, I was kind of used to being able to go a lot of places without applying for a visa. Now, fortunately, in my case, it was an electronic visa. It was really quick and easy to do. But if that weren't the case, I'd have been in big trouble because I had this whole trip planned and I would have lost out on it. What's worse is the requirement to have a passport that has at least six months remaining. Now, some countries are less than six months, but if your passport has less than six months remaining, and remember, it's a 10-year a time frame for adults on a passport and a five-year time frame for children. If you have less than that, countries might deny your entry. You might be denied boarding to leave. If you're in that situation, that's going to be a bad situation. Something like that happened to me once, and we ended up losing a lot of money on it because we had to reschedule a lot of stuff, and we had some non-refundable hotels and things that just went away. So make sure early on in the process you have any uh, travel visas you need, uh, generally, they're pretty easy to get, but you may in some cases have to go to an embassy or something and um, make sure that you've got time left in your passport. Those are critical. Um, when you do travel, you should have copies of your passport and any other travel documents. So I would say have at least a couple photocopies. I usually use like reduced size photocopies so I can just fold them up and, and have a few of them, one in the bag, one in my pocket, and then a digital copy. Um, the digital copy... You can have it sitting in your email account. You can have it in uh, encrypted in Dropbox. You can have it wherever. You can have a USB drive that you keep with you that has that stuff on it. But having those digital copies is good. Having the printed copy is good because in some cases you'll be able to just show that instead of showing the original. Maybe you can um, lock your passport at a hotel or something if you trust that. Or if you're staying with a friend or family, you can leave it at their residence. Um, otherwise, you're going to keep it with you. If anything happens to your passport, you'll need to get a replacement to travel. And to do that, you're going to need to go to the embassy. And it's going to be much, much easier if you have an electronic copy of your passport. At a minimum, somewhere on your phone, you should have your passport number written down. Now, I'm not saying do that in lieu of having your your electronic, like, scanned, photoed, whatever copy of your passport, where you've taken pictures of the information page and some of the other pages. 
but you should have that number ready to get to because you're going to need it constantly. And the easier it is for you to have, the easier it is to, to operate when you're abroad. Um, if your electronics get lost, you need to have a plan to get access to your digital life again. So your Gmail account, if you're using Gmail, your, however you get your email, you need to have, have some way to get back to all your stuff. If you're using a password tool like LastPass, that can be fairly easy, but you should be using two-factor authentication. If you are using two-factor authentication, you can get into the situation where it's very difficult to regain access if you lose your second factor. So have a backup plan for that. Um, I would recommend, if it's something like LastPass, having one of those uh, you know, backup passwords. You can do that for Google as well. A number of places have that option. If you're using one of those authenticators, there are tools that allow you to store those authenticator codes. Something a lot of people don't know is that you could just screenshot or copy or print out the QR codes and rescan them into a new device. So that's an option. Um, it's It becomes a bit of a risky option because it's no longer just like, oh, you have to have the phone to get this, you have to do something else, but it is an option. And you could think about what what you would do to make that safe while you're traveling. Maybe you just keep it on a USB drive and use a zip file that's encrypted to limit access or something. Find some way to do that. But just consider what would happen. I've been abroad and I've lost a phone and I, I had a plan of how I was going to get back into everything. So I was upset about losing the phone because, you know, lost a phone, it's kind of expensive, but I didn't lose access to much of anything. I think all I lost was about maybe 10 pictures or, or something that didn't get uploaded to uh, some service, you know, Google Photos or Dropbox or whatever before, um, bef before the phone got lost. All right, so the next thing to talk about is airport security and immigration. Um, if you've flown before, then a lot of this is stuff you probably know, but something just to think about in your planning. And if you haven't, here's something you should think about in your planning. Uh, when you go through the airport, be ready to take off your shoes and your jacket. Um, this, to me, means wear shoes that are easy to get off and get on, um, you know, especially if you're nervous about the flight, slip-on shoes like loafers or whatever at work. Um, I had to fly in some dress shoes recently, so I kept a shoehorn in my pocket because it's really hard to get those shoes on without a shoehorn. But just think about that. Uh, the jacket's a little bit easier. Um, when you're packing your bag, make sure that your laptops and your tablets are easy to get to. Remember also that laptops, tablets, and phones may be subject to search when you cross international borders, even coming back home. So think about what that means for you. If you're not comfortable with that, maybe you want to take a different device that's not your primary device and doesn't have very much sensitive information on it. Um, there's no guarantee that they're not going to take it from you and send it back to you later, and who knows what they do in the meantime. So something to consider. Um, I can't say that I've flown with a decoy phone before or uh, you know, flown with a, a phone that was uh, not my primary phone, or at least a primary phone, but... Uh, when I, you know, when I had a job that had me have my phone and I had my own personal phone, but but still, it's something to think about. Some people are more worried about that than others. I really don't like the idea of my phone being searched at a border. It hasn't happened to me before, but you know that's that's something you got to think about and balance. Um, premium. Uh, another thing to know is if you get a premium ticket, that gets you into the short lane. You can also get into the short lane uh, a few other ways, like if you happen to be injured. Uh, one time I had a, a cast on when I was traveling, a, an air cast that was safe to fly with. And, you know, I got through a lot of security things faster because I was in a wheelchair and they were helping me get through. Um, but 
you know, if you get a premium ticket, you get into the short lane. If you have status with the airline, you get into the short lane. Um, there's a uh, global entry and pre-check. Uh, and I try to remember what the prices are in these. I've looked them up. Um, but the way that they work, it's two programs that are similar. Global entry is a program where you, um, pre-register about your flights abroad and it allows you to declare all your immigration stuff and returning to the United States or entering the United States from an electronic kiosk without having to talk to someone. So it's faster. Um, a lot of, a lot of times when you're coming into the United States as a citizen, you kind of do that anyways, and then just talk to an officer really quick. But it is a it is a faster process if you've done global entry. Pre-check is where you get a background check screening and an interview with the TSA. And doing that allows you to go through the pre-check line, which is faster and involves less searching. So you might not have to take off your shoes. You might not have to do as many things. Um, so it's a benefit. Uh, both of these programs last for five years. Um, and if you get the global entry program, if you go through the global entry program, then that automatically includes pre-check. So uh, the cost, I just double-checked, is $100 for global entry and $85 for pre-check. So chances are if you have any intent of traveling abroad in the next five years and you want to do pre-check, you may as well do global entry as well because for the extra $15 you get increased uh, speed going through customs, which is nice. Um, when you do enter a country, whether it's your own or another country, uh, my advice is only answer questions that they ask and give short answers. Um, my dad told me a story once where he was crossing the Canadian border. They said, do you have any bombs in the car? And he's like, eh, not really. And he meant no, but he said not really. And he was on the side of the road for several hours where they searched his car. Um, even even United States citizens entering into the United States um, are subject to search. So you, the fact that you're entering in from a foreign country is a time that um, the government has the authority to search your belongings to see if you're doing anything with contraband or whatever. It's uh, n not necessarily common, but you got to be careful with what you bring in. Don't bring anything illegal in. Um, and, you know, be judicious. Make sure you judicious. Make sure you declare what you brought in and, and everything should go fine. But searches do happen. They do x-ray stuff as it comes through, so just be careful. All right, so that brings us to putting together the final plan. So to hit your budget, you might need to run a whole bunch of simulated trips, and I talked about this at the top, right? Um, what you need to do to simulate your trip is figure out different ways that you can go. Look at different point-to-point -point pairwise trips on different days. So let's just say, for example, that you're looking to go f to uh, London, Paris, and... Uh, Amsterdam. So you could look at different days for those trips based on when the inexpensive time to fly there is, find the days at the best prices, find out about any restrictions, and start planning your trip around the days that are priced well and any restrictions. And what I mean by restrictions is, let's say that you're meeting someone or there's a concert you want to go to. You need to be in that location on that day or in one of several days potentially. So you, you need to make sure that you have that in mind as you start looking at it, because you might say, all right, well, it's $100 for this flight and $150 for that flight, but if I take the $100 flight, I'm going to miss the concert, so I'm going to take the $150 flight. That's, that's kind of what you do for simulations. Um, you might want to consider a multimodal trip, so maybe instead of a $100 flight, you can get a $50 train ticket. So now you're spending even less money, and you might even have more flexibility with a train ticket than you have with flights. It's another option that lets you get 
where you want to go quickly. You might also look at taking a road trip. If you're leaving, uh, entering and leaving through the same city, you could rent a car in that city and drive to, to different places. Um, you have to obviously be going to cities that are connected by the road network at least easily. So if you're doing the three cities we talked about, London, Paris, and Amsterdam, you probably would have a hard time going all the way from London to Amsterdam. But you certainly could go from Paris to Amsterdam pretty easily by car. I think it's only a four or five hour drive. And you'd see some really cool stuff along the way, maybe see some interesting cities. I think you'd go through Brussels or at least near Brussels, so you could see another city that way. You'd have a lot of flexibility. You have the downsides of having a car with you, and I think we've talked about that already in the in the other episode. But it's something to consider as you look at the plan. Car rentals aren't typically that cheap, but depending on what you're looking to accomplish, they may actually save you some money or save you some time. So something to consider. Um, you also need to make sure as you plan, you're, you're doing your simulations, look for good days to travel. If you're not tied to a school schedule, uh, late May and early September are great times to, f- to travel. The weather's still good. Um, it's still kind of summertime, but most people are in school, so prices go down. Do pay attention to the possibility that if you're on a discount airline, that's when a lot of discount airlines go, to, go out of business. Typically not May, typically in September after the summer rush. Um, if they didn't make enough money, they're going to have trouble maintaining operations through September and October and everything. Um, winter's usually cheap. If you've got a good coat, you can go where you need to. Um, it, it can work out, but it is going to be a lot colder. Um, and if you're not out to ski or you're not into winter weather, you may not enjoy it as much. On the other hand, you know, it's not that bad. Once you're outside for a little while, you can still enjoy enjoy seeing the sights and experiencing things in a different way. Um, some places are really cool at nighttime, and so you'll get more time at night than you would if you traveled in the summer. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of stuff to think about. Um, the last thing I'll talk about is make sure you print out your boarding passes and confirmations of the most important parts of your journey, right? That's that's the last thing in getting your trip together. So once you bought all these tickets, make sure you've got boarding passes for the most important parts. Your trip there, your trip back, and any major legs where you're going to have a tight deadline. That way, if there's any problems with your phone charge or connections or whatever, you've got everything you need handy. Um, save everything else on your phone. Save those on your phone as well. Usually it's easier to just use your phone as your boarding pass today. They have these QR codes that you scan and boom, you're in. Um, get everything on your phone and, and you can just kind of swipe through it and be quick. But having those printed things for just a few parts of the journey, are it's a big, big help and a big peace of mind. Uh, finally, last piece of advice is to enjoy the journey. Airports often have a lot of cool stuff in them. There can be kids' play areas, there can be sculptures, and so and there's good foods to eat sometimes. So you've got you know something to do if you're just waiting around at the airport. If you're tired, it can be hard. Um, but even if you're going through a crazy busy airport, if everyone's taking one way to get between terminals, maybe you take a different way. I was in one of the busiest airports in the world once, and rather than take a shuttle, I took the the foot route, which they had signs for, but almost no one took it. I was completely alone for like 15 minutes going through this long hallway. It was empty, and it was really neat. It was, it was cool to see a different part of the airport, different part of the area, and get a little bit of alone time after being around so many people on the plane and in, in the airport, just to kind of not have so much chaos helped calm me down a little bit. Also remember that airplanes are amazing, right? For millennia, people have imagined what it would be like to fly. They've dreamed of flying and it was impossible. 
And now it's possible and it's commonplace and you can do it. And you can be in an airplane and you can be soaring higher and faster than any bird has ever flown. And that's just amazing. You can see the clouds from above. You can see the land from above and see the shapes that form on the ground because of the laws that man have made, right? Like you look down in the Western United States and you see a lot of squares and those are man-made laws. And then in the East, you have different rules and it forms different shapes. And in Europe, there are different shapes. In South America, there are different shapes that are formed because we parcel out land a certain way. That's pretty amazing to see. And that's something that people haven't been able to see until the last hundred and hundred or so years. So, so really don't look at it as something commonplace. Look at it as something as amazing as it is. Learn everything you can about airplanes. They're fascinating. Um, and a lot of the little things are really cool. You know, you stop into a grocery store and you see foods you've never seen before and you see the people live in a different way. There's a million little things to enjoy. And if there's one thing I learned from traveling with a small child, it's that travel can be way more fun when your eyes are open and you're looking for exciting stuff. And it's really cool to stop and enjoy every little thing you can. You know, enjoy the the weird breakfast that you got someplace and like why you wonder why they're serving it. You end up, you know, deciding, hey, let's take a quick side trip and you end up in some weird town and the only hotel that's open is this strange hotel and they serve this local food and there are dogs and cats on the property and it's just, you know, you're in a totally different world, a totally different life than you have in your day-to-day experience. It's fantastic. I've had that experience. Went on a side trip. We ended up in this hotel and we paid extra for this room that overlooked the water and the water came under the, the hotel and there was under the room and there was a little window where we could see the tides come in and out. They served local food and there were dogs and cats and there was an aviary. Totally amazing. A totally amazing experience. And every part of it was cool, right? It, it was something you could just sit there and enjoy. So make sure you enjoy the journey. I appreciate you listening to me and for joining us here on Brighter Evening. I hope you've had a great time listening to this and that you take some of this advice and find a way to have a fantastic trip. My name is Josh. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Brighter Evening. I hope I've made your evening brighter. You can subscribe to us by RSS on Google or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more information on the show or this episode, please visit brightervening.com.